things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Hello and welcome to the fourth Early Careers podcast with me, Ollie. And me, Jack Denton. Uh, today we have a double up, double up. So not only you've got Jack and, and I, you have <laughs> Tristram and Thomas from the ISE. Hi guys. Hi there. Uh, so the topic today is going to be on renegs and rejects. I think there's a lot, uh, lot going on in the market around this topic. So we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the ISE survey and lots of tips and tricks uh, around how to I guess, learn about why this is happening and ways to avoid it in the future. Before we crack on into the topic, let's actually introduce who Tristram and Thomas are. So Tristram, t- tell us a little about who you are, what you do. So hi, I'm Tristram. I'm a Chief Research Officer for the ISE, uh, but I'm also a, a researcher and I've been uh, interested in career and career development for quite a few years now. Tom? Um, I am the, oh, sorry, I'm Tom. Um, I'm the <laughs> Membership Development Manager at the ISC, work alongside Tristram. Um, it's quite a new role, actually, so started in April, and then before then I was in graduate recruitment. We should probably say, actually, what the ISC is, for, for those people yeah, who don't know. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Institute of Student Employers, and uh, we work with all employers uh, to help them to recruit young people, basically, to recruit students. So we used to mainly focus on graduates, but we now have broadened out much more. So that includes apprentices and school leavers um, and and, uh, any other kind of early talent, I suppose. And formerly known as the AGR for any of the people who've been there, been around the block for a while. Yes. Um, Tell us us a bit more about you then. So Tristram, you, you lecture in Norway. Uh, yeah, so I've I've got a kind of portfolio career, which means doing a sort of a bit of this and a bit of that. And uh, so I work about half the week with the ISE, but the other half I, I mainly do kind of academic work, uh, both at the University of Derby and uh, recently at the um, Inland Norway University of Applied Sciences, which I can't say in Norwegian, but uh, <laughs> where, I, <laughs> where I train uh, careers advisors and, and do some research as well. Nice, like it. Uh, have you seen at the Northern Lights? I haven't, but I'm going to Tromsø this year, yeah. so I'm hoping, in, well, next year in June, I'm hoping I will actually see the Northern Lights, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I, I've been to Scandinavia four times. Not seen them once. Uh, so loose. Sometimes they're better on Google, they say, don't they? Yeah. You just watch the pictures. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Tom, uh, you were at Enterprise before, so tell us a bit about what you were doing there and how that brought you to the IC. So not quite uh, Norway. Um, we were based uh, just near Slough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, graduate recruiter at Enterprise for six years, roughly. Um, and then at Enterprise as a whole for just over 10 years so started on their uh, management program so on their on their graduate program work my work my way up through the retail side and then into graduate recruitment um and just until april of this year when i moved over to the to the ic basically okay so let's talk some facts and figures so the ic you do a, a lot of research and you did a piece of research this year and one of the bits one of the parts of that you looked into to um, renegs and rejections it'd be good to let us know what you found out 
So um, we do we do this research uh, every year. We do a number of surveys, and and the one that we're going to be talking about mainly today is a survey of employers who are members of the organisation, and what how their recruitment's going really. So one of the things we ask is what what happens when you make an offer to a, a student, and around about three quarters of it goes as you might hope. Um, and people turn around and say yes, and then they turn up on the first day, and that's all very nice. Um, about 14% uh, actually turn you down straight away, and then 7% uh, just disappear and are never seen again. So that's what we call, we're calling reneges today, or it's the no-shows. And then you've also got another kind of chunk in the middle there, small chunks, sort of 7 or 8%, something like that, of people who, who ask to defer to the next year. So it's quite an interesting pattern because we've got about a quarter of the people that we that our members are making offers to, uh, are in some way, are turning them down or, or asking for some kind of different deal. And obviously that's not ideal. So it's it's I think worth worth us spending a bit of time today thinking about what what we can do about that. So it's maybe we can talk about the three different types of um, people who, who renege or reject. So we've got first of all people who just straight up reject. It's not probably a great deal people can do about that apart from perhaps improving their offering and then we've got people who look to defer their their offering maybe we could talk about how people um, might keep those people warm through that year so they don't lose them in that subsequent year yeah I mean actually if we if we start with the people who turn turn you down straight I mean we don't know an awful lot or certainly from our survey we don't know an awful lot about why they do that uh, but it's and it may be that it's salary, as you're saying, or something about your package. But it's probably that's only one reason amongst many. And, and we know there are some other things that graduates value. Um, those things about the way they've been treated in that in that recruitment experience. Some people might not like that, and that might be something that you could look at. There are obviously things um, outside of the money, like geography. There's obviously it's a it's a market, so people might have got other offers from other people. So. So there's quite a lot of reasons why people might might turn you down straight. And I think it's one of the things that's worth doing for employers is to try and figure out when they get those kind of responses, what, what's, what's the reason that lies behind it. Mm. So that's the rejections. How about those that defer? Do we see them as a problem or an issue? So, I mean, it's quite interesting for me because I've, I've never been a graduate recruiter and we didn't even ask that question last year so when I look back and see whether it's changed we can't see that and my guess is that those people were previously uh, included in the kind of yes they've been accepted but then when I talked to Thomas about it, it 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 seems clear that there's there are some issues there and it might be worth sort of talking about some of your experiences with managing that so when I was um, a graduate recruit, it was very difficult. And I suppose kind of it does go into the unconscious bias side of a of a graduate recruiter, where if you were to offer someone uh, a place on the graduate program and you were very excited as a recruiter and then your response was, oh, that's fantastic. Can I go on holiday for a year? That was the part where you know, you thought to yourself, ah, okay, well, yeah, obviously not a problem because we'd love for you to start. You've gone through the recruitment process. You're fantastic. I think you're going to add value to the business. Mm -hmm. But you'd had that worrying feeling, were they actually going to come back? Mm -hmm. I guess that's part of the reneges. Though. So if you do give them an extra year, there's probably a higher chance they're going to suddenly maybe find something different in that time. 
I think it's difficult because um, if we're t talking about how to keep people warm as well. So if you make an offer in November for them to start in, I don't know, let's say kind of June, July time, that's a long time. But to keep someone warm, if they're taking a gap, you know, taking their gap year or going on holiday or, or whatever it may be, that's a super difficult thing to do. And it's also a lot of time and effort if you think, oh, I have to hire X amount of people for the year, but I need to keep these three or four people warm. You know, how am I going to do that? Am I going to call them once a week? Am I going to send an email? Am I going to, you know, add them on LinkedIn and send them messages? It's, I think it's a very difficult thing for a recruiter to kind of prioritise to make sure that they're keeping people warm. And how do you keep people warm? I think that's a big question as well. Mm. I think also the longer the period of time, the more difficult it is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that the, if it, the longest period, especially if you go a long period of no contact, that's the part where you're thinking, right, do I continue to try and contact them or do I put my time and effort into hiring someone new because I know that they're not going to come back? Um, at the IC, we have uh, sector groups, so we'll get employers together and there's quite a vast array of employers that actually don't accept deferrals at all and don't offer them. Um, and there are companies that obviously do say, right, you know, we'll give you, a we will kind of offer a deferral on the offer, if that makes sense. Um, but we don't, like Tristan says, we don't necessarily have the statistics of the deferrals that that come back, or or do they? Uh, our vast majority of deferrals become Renee's by the end yeah. of it, basically. I suppose the the question that that. All of, I mean, all recruitment's trying to find is can you get the right people for the job? And and generally, if you're, especially if you're in a big business, if somebody comes the next year, it's not the end of the world. But whether whether they actually turn up is is a key question. And and from talking to people, it seems that many many people don't do that, which does make me wonder. I mean, we probably should should look into this more, but it does make me wonder what it is that motivates employers to offer that kind of opportunity. Mm. Um, because it, yeah, you know you're potentially storing up problems for yourself, aren't you? Mm. Well, let's. Um, I think we've got loads of tips and tricks for to, to talk about later. Um, I guess one thing we picked out from your survey, which I thought was really really interesting, was to actually kind of understand why this is happening and probably the impact of the renegs. Because you, you mentioned it was seven percent renegs from this summer survey. That's actually up from five percent from last year's survey so it is a growing issue and it's something that is causing well could be a bigger issue in the future if you look at the amount of students that seven percent makes up it's over two thousand students from the thirty-two thousand total uh, young people that are employed from isc members um which is quite a lot of people when you think that yeah definitely two thousand people are saying no thank you yeah. and the impact that has well, what, and also in the same survey, you had the, the stat that it was just over £2,000 to recruit uh, every young person. Right. So a few times, those you know, over 2,000 students were reneging and over £2,000 um, to recruit each one of them. It turns out to be about £4.9 million. Pounds. Right. Just it's nearly a five million pound problem, really. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's just money completely wasted. And I, mean, I think the problem's actually much, much bigger even than that because... Uh, I mean, our, our survey um, is is answered by a proportion of our members, but there are many other companies that are very similar to to those companies out there 
who, who are foolishly not ISE members yet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Foolish members. But those, uh, take my job for me. This but is, let's, <laughs> but let's, assu- let's assume that they're, they're experiencing similar sorts of things, and we, we, would, we would expect that that would be the case. So, so we could multiply that, that number by quite a few. But I think the other thing is that, that that's probably the cost. What you, you've outlined is probably the cost if that happens fairly quickly after people have turned you down you have to run the recruitment process again and that's got additional costs if they just don't turn up on the first day then you've also got some opportunity costs lost for the business in that you've potentially missed a whole year of recruitment uh, or a whole year of, of employment and and the, so the costs could be quite a lot more so i mean while i don't think that we should be saying that we'll ever going to get to a position where we have no reneges and that everybody does exactly what they said they were going to do months and months before i mean i don't think that's realistic but I think it is obviously worthwhile from business's point of view to think about is there anything that they can do to try and make that less likely. Do we know why it might be going up? So it's gone from 5 to 7%. That's like a 50% increase year on year. It's quite a big jump. Is there? Do you know if there's any particular reasons for that? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'm not convinced that there's a sort of long-term trend and I don't think we would expect to see it necessarily going up 50% every year. Um I think you would expect it to happen a bit more in a in a more in a stronger labour market, and so if if uh, if this year we've we've moved a bit further out of recession, and there's lots of people who will argue about how much that has happened, but certainly since two thousand and eight, when we were at the kind of bottom of the recession, the, mm. the economy kind of with some hiccups and so on has steadily got got a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically will put graduates into a slightly better position. Uh, I mean, the other things that we know that are happening is that the number of students is declining, the number of young people is declining, and that's a kind of demographic factor. And so it could be something to do with that, that there are less high-quality candidates and so on. That's certainly causing universities some problems at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are var- various factors. But, I mean, I- I'm not very convinced that it's uh, that kind of millennials are behaving differently from from millennials two years ago. Yeah. I think it's much more likely to be relative uh, strength in the market, really. So people are, what, feel happy enough to um, get one offer and then shop around for something else? Yeah, I, I mean, firstly, that they feel happy enough to do that and they don't think that's a risk. And secondly, that they're actually successful in doing it because right. one of the reasons for turning the, the thing down is that you've got a better offer. And obviously that's partly to do with a stronger labour market. A couple of bits we found out last week. So uh, ran a session uh, on Please Don't Drop Out. Yeah, yes you did. Uh, last week at the, the Pimlico Academy, great the most liked of all of the all of the workshops according to according to feedback <laughs> 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 sorry to take the feedback uh, anyway so on the in this uh, session we had a panel and we had someone from TFL someone from KPMG and someone from Cap Gemini uh, and we just asked them you know what were their reasons and why they think um, their candidates were dropping out and a couple of bits from that were actually the shorter turnaround times from results day to them starting. So if you get results you know, middle of August and then the start date is the start of September, you know, that's suddenly quite close together in terms of when you've got to make the, your final decision. So they find that as one reason why people were suddenly saying, oh, no, thank you, I haven't quite made my mind up yet. It's all like panicking. A little bit. And I think that, that also feeds into how they did in their results because 
I think a lot of students now will apply for university and for apprenticeships. So if you were going on an apprenticeship programme and were quite keen for it, you probably still apply to university as well, because you might as well. Mm -hmm. If suddenly you do better than you thought you did and you get accepted by a university, all of a sudden your mind has gone from, actually, I could go to university. I didn't expect to. That's why I applied to an apprenticeship. But I might as well. And then right. you have the, the factor of influencers. Mm-hmm. So you then have your parents yeah, yeah, uh, and certainly other people from school then saying, oh, my God, you've just been accepted into this wonderful institution. You have to go now. Mm-hmm. And that rips up the plans you had five or six months ago when you'd convince yourself to do something different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things um, that um, was spoken about in the, the talk that um, Ollie did with the, with the employers at the School Leaver Conference was... Um, quite a few of them said that they had um, backup lists. So they made their first set of offers and then they had like a substitute list and they tried to keep that substitute list warm. So they didn't just say, oh, well, you were a great candidate. We would love to offer you a role. There aren't any at the moment, but if one becomes available, we'd love to offer you it because that would be, that's kind of kind of the end of the story. What they did is they continued to keep those people warm. They continued to um, keep a relationship with those people. So then in the event that somebody did drop out or somebody didn't turn up, they had somebody that they could offer to who was still warm. They weren't completely cold again. And I think that was a really good piece of advice. And I think that's, it was something I think two of the organisations said that they did. And I think that's a, a pretty sensible thing for an organisation to, to do. Yeah. How do we both feel about almost over-offering or having a pool of candidates that you do keep warm as a, as a I, Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, and it and I think it links into kind of a lot of a lot of other areas, you know, things like, if we're talking about social mobility and we're talking about, you know, people that maybe haven't gone, you know, first time university people haven't gone through um, any job interviews before, haven't, you know, had maybe family members that have kind of gone through graduate programmes. And rather than feeling rejected um, because secretly there wasn't any space, actually being told to say, you know what, you did a really good job. Unfortunately, this time there isn't any space. And I think that would build, you know, fine, they may not join you because it could be, uh, obviously it could be quite a long time still, mm-hmm. but to have that feeling of, I actually did a good job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of feedback that, um, that that students kind of give to their universities or, or schools sometimes is when they do get a, an actual reject, they don't get a reason why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know it does sound awful, but sometimes it can be for the one reason because... There wasn't any space or whatever it may be, but because an employer doesn't give feedback at a certain part of the recruiting process, they actually never know and they think that they've made a mistake. But actually, they were good enough. So, mm. I mean, I'm 100% behind having a having a backup list, obviously, if it's implemented, you know, in a, in a nice way, correctly, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can uh, give something concrete as well. So I've seen people do things like, uh, you miss the first stage of the of recruitment process next year and that kind of thing out. That can be... Because I think the, the danger... With, it's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? Is to reject people and to keep them feeling really great about you. So <laughs> it's I think it's tricky. very difficult. Yeah. So you, I think you need to think through how to do that, that best. But if you can pull it off, then obviously it gives you a lot of options. Another thing that um, I've heard uh, a lot from law firms is that um, the renegs that they get are because they can now offer so early. So there used to be um, a restriction in the self-policed restriction where they wouldn't offer until um, the 1st September when someone was in their second year at university. But now it's a a free-for-all. And now you can um, 
do that anytime. So that means that someone could get an offer for a training contract to start in a law firm in their first year when they wouldn't be starting it for quite a few years later because after they finished university, they then go and do their LPC or G GDL and then LPC. So that's a really, really long time to keep somebody warm. And if, like you were saying earlier, if it's a good candidate, they're going to shop around and it's going to be very easy for them to, to you know, find something better. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the, the issues we were talking about this is that you, there's a, one of the things you're trying to do by offering people early is you're trying to kind of gazump the opposition, aren't you? You're trying to get yeah. in there and find the right person early. And that's about managing risk is that we, we've spotted someone who's got potential and uh, and we're going to get them before anyone else has taken them away. The, the the flip side of that is that you extend the period in which you've you've got to hang on to them, don't you? And 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 that can be difficult. And even if they never apply for another job, people have all sorts of life events that mean that they don't pursue the kinds of things that they planned to do when they were twenty, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, people get a girlfriend and they decide that, that they're going to move with her to Leeds or they um, or their parents get ill or whatever. Is that you? It might have been. No, no. It was a very no, personal experience there. I was never lucky enough to have a girlfriend in Leeds. So uh, I stayed in Leicester. But uh, no, no, but there's all sorts of things that happen. People get ill. There's, there's many things that happen. If, you, yeah. if you're trying to hold someone over over two or even three years, as you've just described, the, the chances are that there'll be a proportion of those people who something happens to that means that they're not going to turn up on the, the when you thought they were going to. I think it's a risk in itself anyway, because if you're offering someone the first year of university, obviously situations can change, they can accept another job, but also you're kind of saying, I've spotted talent, you know, three years in advance, four or five, especially with legal training contracts, maybe four or five years in advance, that's kind of like signing, you know, if you're talking football, if you sign a football player when they're 16, because you're like, oh, they'll be great by the time they're 21. Mm. How many of those 16-year-old kids actually are good when they get to 21? It's quite, you know, it's fine. It's risk-averse because you're trying to gazump yeah. other employers, but it's kind of the unknown yeah. of hiring, you know, offering someone so early, basically. I think um, maybe quite a few people who are going to be listening to this are going to be thinking a, a couple of things. So one, they're going to be like the data because it helps them benchmark what's going on within their own organisation. But I think they're also going to be interested in understanding what other people are doing, stuff basically that they can um, put into practice in their own businesses to see if they could reduce it in some way. Have we got any examples of some of the things that people are doing to, to try to reduce it, tactics and incentives that they're offering? So what we used to do, what we started doing um, was sending out care packages. Um, What's a care package? A care package. So <laughs> um, kind of stereotypical, but I mean, we got some good feedback. But um, so if we offered someone in, I don't know, November, December, January, and they were going to be starting in July, August, September, mm -hmm. we knew that one of the most stressful moments of their lives are going to be their final exams. Right. Yep. So we would send a care package out with things like uh, coffee um, in in there. You know, we'd send out kind of sunglasses to say things like enjoy your summer and, and things like that. Just to... <laughs> I hope that was written on the lenses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we just put it on like a note, um, you know, some sweets and, you know, just kind of things like that. Just to show that we haven't forgotten about them. And also sometimes it, it really isn't enough just to get a phone call because, um, you know, people don't like to lie to their recruiters. 
and mm-hmm. you know and but they will, you know, if you're like, oh, uh, we're really looking forward to you starting in June. And then like, I've accepted another job offer. I just can't tell Tom because he's so nice. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's those little bits and pieces I think employers are trying to, to try and engage with. The other thing is actually tracking. So when people are get, when employers are getting the reneges, actually tracking the reasons rather than saying we've lost another one or, you know, I'll get someone else in actually having maybe a spreadsheet or speaking to senior managers and saying, right, out of the 7%, 5% said it was because of salary. I didn't turn up or 5% took, you know, another job with a competitor. I think especially in this day and age and, you know, the data that we provide, employers are actually collating their own data that they can share amongst themselves, but maybe even with their university partners and say, you know, things like, you know, we offered 15 of your students at XYZ University, but, you know, 14 of them didn't turn up. You know, that might be a, an issue with your brand on campus, for example. So it, it can get very wide. I think it's probably also interesting as well with the data to be able to... So um, one of the, the first podcasts we did with Paul Gascon, we looked at tracking and, and digital data. And actually that can be useful not just for your traction, as we talked about with Paul, but also in these other things. So you can see maybe the route that somebody took Yes. And perhaps maybe when you offered, because you're going to offer people over a, range, a period of time, and then you can start to spot patterns in your data, and then you can then try to take measures to to prevent that. Yeah. And just back to that, so we we mentioned, but well, we were talking previously about contracts and about um, the importance of possibly sending out a contract with offer. Now, obviously, those contracts aren't you know they're not legally binding. If you get sent a contract, you don't have to start with that company, but. Sometimes it does make that offer very real. Um, you know, we obviously did offer letters, but maybe having sometimes the contract in front of you or kind of a copy of the benefits package and that says welcome, that can sometimes at least stop some kind of rejection of offers or, or renegades. Yeah, so there's, so there's quite a bit of research or sort of behavioural economics research which talks about this thing which they call hyperbolic discounting which is basically wow, this ba- sounds pretty cool sounds I don't great. know what it is <laughs> but it sounds, cool. <laughs> sounds Norwegian <laughs> which basically means that people value things that are close to them more than they value things which are far away so it's right. that classic thing of like if would you rather have a tenner today or would you rather have a hundred pound in a year's time mm-hmm. and most people will take a, a tenner today really? because um you've got a very good you've got a very good ability to defer gratification which is going to likely to serve you well yeah, in behavioral like economics but it's the but, percy pig test <laughs> my dad did the uh, what's the percy pig test um well basically i'll give you a percy pig now when i was younger or if it's there in two minutes' time, I'll give you give you two. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know they had first. What did you? <laughs> well, I lost it every time. You always ate it. What did so you get hard. up to, Ollie? Like, did he keep giving you? As in, like, he was like, "Oh, you've gone twenty four hours. Here's eighty eight Percy Pigs." Like, you know. Yeah, we never got to the second. <laughs> okay, fine. So there is <laughs> a limit, but there there is this, there's evidence that that test that they do with little kids, like I think it's like when you're like four or something, mm-hmm. the, the kids that can def- defer gratification for longer tend to do better in life because they're able to kind of manage that this issue of like of looking long term and thinking long term Mm. but but all of us no matter how kind of great we are at (laughs) deferring gratification (laughs) all of us tend to value things that are closer than things that are further away and so if you can if you can do things with candidates that 
that makes them feel good. I mean, nobody cares really whether you send them sunglasses or not. But no. But the fact that you've sent them sunglasses makes them feel you're giving them something. You're positive about them. They've got yeah. something now. It's not just something that's happening far in the future, the other side of their holidays or whatever. And so those kind of techniques, I think, I think there's good reason to think that they would make a difference. I think it's just touch points, isn't it? Whatever they might be, and I think that was something that quite a few people, you know, in in uh, Ollie's talk that they that they mentioned. So different things like having a, a pre-joining buddy, so someone in the organisation that they can talk to. Some people have Facebook groups, some people have WhatsApp groups. They often invite people in to come into the office and, yeah. and look around. Yeah. Um, I think um, I think TFL said that they invite them along to socials, so some yeah. of the social things that they're doing. And I think it's this, it's not one specific thing, it's mm. just a variety of things. And I think it's this um, kind of constant contact in some way, shape or form with people. And another thing that's kind of another generalisation is that the reasons these things are happening are specific to each, each organisation. So the general trend of it happening happens yeah. to everybody, but why it happens is actually more specific to each individual organisation. Yeah, I think it leans on probably the two different sides of the brain when you think about the logical side or the emotional side. Mm-hmm. So logically, you know, there's a million reasons why you should or shouldn't take a job. Mm-hmm. But actually what makes more an impact for people is the emotional side. So if you can ramp up you know, the, the care package you give them, the invites to certain events to make them feel part of this new cohort coming through, they, they feel differently. They feel more special. They feel uh, taken care of and, you know, trusted and looked after. And I think for a lot of mm. certainly young people, and I think especially Gen Z, I think they are a bit choosier. Mm-hmm. I think they do feel that they have to... Well, I think they feel like they want to shop around a bit more. And if you can make them feel really wanted the moment they almost say, yes, I'm in, uh, then I think you've got a much better chance of them actually yeah, joining on, on day one. I think the, the other thing that you, you have to remember is that people are going through a big life transition. And like for me, what I was doing in May and what I'm doing in October are not so radically different. Um, mm. But if you're a student in, in May, you're still living a student life. You're probably in a different, you, or at least potentially in a different city. You've got a different group of friends and so on. You, you're then got to transition into a new kind of life. And, and that's a bigger decision than just, you know, it is about touch points and it is about making you feel welcome. But it's also about making you feel that your identity can be pursued within this this new world that you're moving into and so things which help people to imagine themselves into that world and and feel like they're going to be they're going to have friends they're going to have a a valuable life and and so on I think that's it's important and it is a it's a big moment in people's lives when they move from either from school or from university yeah 100% so I think when you're talking about uh nurturing people I think when, when you're treating them as individuals again comes back to what Gen Z are really looking for so I think it was um, I can't remember who it was at the conference when we spoke about it last week but um, it was very much you, you treat them as if they are the most important person mm. there so if you, the pre-joining buddies you mentioned they get uh, invited to speak to a, a certain person that is doing a similar job to them or is it in the same sort of cohort like a previous year so they feel like they've already got an emotional connection with with one person there so they're being looked after so that individual aspect to it makes it really um, special for, for people coming through 
And one thing uh, TFL talked about a lot was actually utilising the power of previous cohorts and using awards to help nurture and en- engage them through the, the process of... So what do you mean? What sort of thing? Well, I guess firstly, when before they apply and then once they've applied and they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would have a apprentice of the year that they would uh, do every year with their cohort. That person would be, you know, done some amazing things. Um, they would then do a case study mm-hmm. um, and almost a success story of that person and use that to then share with all the new people coming through. Right, and this could be you. This could okay. be you. This could inspire you to be the next apprentice of the year. And I think stuff like that makes, uh, I think, young people feel so much of a connection with a brand because, you know, that, that just inspires you, doesn't it? You, know, you could be the apprentice of the year for TFL. Mm-hmm. I haven't even joined yet. <laughs> we did, um, we did two, two really similar things, actually, um, now that you've mentioned it. Um, so we had, um, we had a Women in Leadership event. So that was... Um, previously that was just for people that that were working for enterprise it was an internal um, internal event but then what we were doing is when we were offering to obviously women we would invite them to to that event to see exactly because you see the culture and the environment of the company you obviously do see some of the culture and the environment in a company when you go through the recruitment process but to actually come to a bespoke event especially when um, you know, the industry that enterprise are in is very kind of male dominated. It has a stereotype um, of, of being male dominated and to, to, in order to get more females into the business. You know, we used to run those those great events and, and have talk about female role models and, and things like that. It was a good chance to engage with people that you'd made offers. And then we did something similar. Actually, we did intern of the year, campus brand manager of the year, and we would invite all our offers to that event to say oh next year you can be you know you can be the you know intern of the year that kind of thing and it and it did work it, it worked well they were great events actually yeah they sound great and it almost sounds like because you know it was almost like a brand presence uh, we know we've got a certain issue with our brand therefore we have to work a little bit harder to mm. to get out there um i think that's a massive thing certainly again coming back to the school space if you're not a high street brand yeah, Young right. people aren't going to know exactly who you are. And I, I think you, you can sometimes overestimate how, how big a brand you are. So, I mean, even, I mean, even if you take something like, say, KPMG, right? We all know who KPMG are. We think they're one of the biggest brands in this business. But people in schools, even some graduates, won't necessarily know who they are or what they do. They might have heard that they're a company. And so there is, there is a p- moment when you've, Start work right through your recruitment process, but particularly once you've signed people up, when I think there is a moment when you're trying to communicate to them, well, what is this thing and what is it actually really about and what will it be like working for us? Mm. So we did some research a few years ago with students about how they were anticipating having to dress when they went to the workplace. And they were really nervous about it. And so the things that came through was that they were really assumed that employers would be incre- would want them to wear kind of uh, black suits every day or grey suits every day and were, were kind of completely um, to sort of scrub every detail of their identity away from them and become kind of completely ro- robotic, really, was, was their fear. But at the same time, they had almost no real knowledge of what, what it was like to work in a kind of corporate environment or a professional environment. And 
and it was profoundly you know unsettling to people it was like well what am i going to wear on the first day what am i going to look like what what do i need to be like I suppose and i think from the, yeah from the experiences of being in school where you have to wear a uniform and everyone is the same that's their only experience of their workplace for the last however many years has been school which is kind of very regimented you wear this and you wear this for that and, and that for the other and that's kind of their only experience that's perhaps why they they felt some of those things yeah absolutely and then equally for students a lot of the rules are taken away um although actually you know students like conform in other ways to in in things like that but the point i think in terms of the issue we're thinking about about how do you help people to make transition and avoid these reneges and avoid people dropping out is about helping people to feel their way into your culture isn't it and feel their way into your organization and do anything that you can do to help them to do that really are there any questions that we haven't asked you that we should have asked you about rejections and renegs that is a great question in itself (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) nope i'll tell you i I suppose the one thing that that i think follows on from this Mm. which is a slightly different issue but is i think is very related is we also do a development survey. So we also look at graduates who, are, who have been working for a couple of years and are coming to the end of their programme. Uh-huh. And what we find is a very similar pattern at the end of, of a graduate programme, that most graduates, I mean, it's, le- it's less, I think it's about 60-something percent, uh, most graduates stay with the same employer and carry on, and the money that's been spent on them is, is you know, well invested and so on. Yeah. But a substantial chunk leave at that point, and some of them go to competitors... And some of them don't. Some of them drop out of the industries and sectors altogether. And and it seems to me these issues are kind of related somewhere along the line. And mm. and again, I th- I think it must be about organisational culture and how how you treat people and how people are able to think their own career into your organisational narrative. Do you have um, as part of that any data on um, on school leavers because? anecdotally I've heard from lots of employers they say that their retention rates are better for school leaders than they are for graduates is there any evidence of that or is that still purely anecdotal at the moment um I don't have the figures to hand uh but we yes I I've heard that a lot from employers that that they go to apprenticeships and they go to school leaver programs because they stay Mm. um whereas graduates are seen as more mobile and so on the only thing I'd say against that is that um, so Charlie Ball, uh, who's, who's a researcher at, at Hexu, has done some, quite a lot of research saying graduates are a lot less mobile, mobile than you might think. Right. Graduates tend to stick, certainly where they live, they tend to stick um, much, much more. People don't, aren't flipping all around the country or all around the world in mm-hmm. the way that sometimes the rhetoric would tell you that, that they are. Most people are either pursuing their career where they grew up or where they went to university. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, right, so I guess we've got covered quite a lot of ground there, haven't we? Um, a lot of ground, I think. As a, I guess as a summary in terms of why this is happening, I guess you've got, oh, there was loads of reasons, wasn't there? You know, whether it, your life choices have changed, um, it was, as to why you were reneging. Better offer from somewhere else. Yeah. It's just too long from when you get the offer to when someone finally accepts it. Or, like Tristram said, some other thing in your life pops up in the in-between reason. I think to say we can list loads of different reasons, but what we can Mm. say is that 
actually there's there's so many different reasons that are specific to each each organization it's a, it's a, we can we see it's a general issue for m- many companies which cost them a lot of money so in terms of directly cost them but then there's maybe secondary costs to that and, but then it's individual for each one and i think um, they need to figure out each organization needs to figure out their own way to do that there's lots of examples of things that people are doing and i think the key part of it if you could pull something out it's to provide the candidate or the person you've you know um, who's accepted the offer many touch points from when they're first offered to when they first start i think that would probably be the the takeaway from it i think the to me the main thing is that you need to think about this as a career choice that someone's making rather than an organizational choice that you're making because people people come and go because they want to and if you understand what they're thinking and what they want you've got much better chance of getting that to fit with your organizational needs Mm -hmm. i think my my top tip from for for not actually just an employer but as a as an individual recruiter would be not to necessarily take it personally when someone reneges or rejects your offer but rather than seeing it as a number to really dig in and don't be afraid to send an email or call the candidate and actually fine you may have lost them but still chase them to kind of gain the information that will probably help you in the in the future to to reduce that like it i guess i'd add up to those like i think being proactive is the most important thing you know don't wait for them to renege and then try and save it with a counter offer because that yeah. often doesn't work mm-hmm. uh, and you know, their head's already been turned um i think gen z really need a bit more hand-holding so reaching out to them and showing them they're valued during the process and treating them as individuals is a great way of doing it so you know nurturing them you know throughout from the moment they've said yes you know i think gen z are such a much choosier uh, generation so the moment they interact with your brand make sure you're educating them inspiring them and taking them through the process so they are you know you're their first choice mm-hmm. which is why you'll then turn up on day one right well thank you very much for today thank i think you. we've learned a lot of stuff and i think it's a lot for people to take away from this i'd like to say thank you to tristram thank you to tom thank you thank you um, if you are interested in finding out more uh, about what the ISE do or even joining the organisation, then please visit isc.org.uk. I've been Jack. I've been Ollie. And thanks very much. Bye for now. See you later. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z. With all the information that you'll need, it's the Jack and Ollie Show.